Unlock your Bible. Discover the true meaning of life. Learn the cause of world problems and the astounding solution. Prove for yourself what the future holds. In the Trumpet Literature Library, you will find answers to life's most important questions. Explore these vital titles on Trumpet Bookshelf. Welcome to Trumpet Bookshelf. I'm Grant Turgeon. We're broadcasting to you live today from the Herbert W. Armstrong College campus here in Oklahoma, Edmond, Oklahoma. And we are here coming up on the end of January under what looks like a new presidential administration. And it's been a crazy time uh, here on the campus, uh, here at the headquarters of the Philadelphia Church of God. We just had our intramural basketball season start up this past week. We've had a singles winter weekend here recently, the 2020-2021 PCG Ministerial Conference, and I'm sure a lot of other things that I'm not remembering right now. But it has been a wild time. And since I've last been in the radio studio, they have installed a hallway in here. And there's a nice big screen TV on the wall of that hallway as you come into the radio studio. So quite a lot changed in uh, a short amount of time. But it's good to be back in here after uh, some, some delays to me being in here. What makes child rearing so difficult? Now, the answer to this question depends on us understanding God's purpose for children, God's purpose for us raising children, and also understanding what makes human beings different from the animals. So quite a lot here, a lot of astounding depth to this subject. The reason I'm speaking about this today is because our new Imperial Academy principal, Mr. Joel Hilliker, really did sharpen our vision. What is expected from us as teachers and faculty at God's K-12 through school. And he did talk about how it's not just the parents' responsibility to help children, It's all of the followers of Christ. He was referencing this example from Matthew 18, along with uh, the, the parallel examples in the other gospel accounts. But Matthew 18, starting in verse 1. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? You see, Christ's followers were competing with each other a little bit. They wanted the greatest reward in the kingdom. So here is how Christ answered. Verse 2, And Jesus called a little child unto him, and set him in the midst of them. Verse 3, And said, Verily I say unto you, Except you be converted, and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. And finally, verse 4, Whosoever, therefore, shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Mr. Hilliker pointed out yesterday how children really are the building blocks of the world tomorrow. Do we think of children this way? Do we have this vision in our minds when we struggle to get children to behave? Is this really what we're thinking about? how we are teaching tomorrow's teachers, 
how we are raising the building blocks of God's future world. Obviously, that can be very difficult to think about in the moment. I know personally, I've been corrected quite a few times and given a lot of helpful instruction on how to raise my two children. Loma Amy is over three and a half years old now, and then my son Rush Wayne is coming up on six months. We haven't had too much of an issue with him yet. He's he's still very young and very happy. Haven't had to try to make him become more happy because he's already happy. But Loma is in Irish dance, and she's having to learn how to pay attention for 45 minutes straight. Try to think about when you were three years old and how long <laughs> and focused your attention span really was. And it is difficult. It is difficult to help children stay focused, to help them obey instructions immediately and with a good attitude. You see, those are both very important points. Sometimes they'll obey, but they'll take their time, and the wrong spirit is there. Sometimes they'll obey, but they are clearly displeased with having to do so. So child rearing, it is a complex subject, and yet at the heart of it, really, it's not too complex. It's a paradox. It is a daily struggle in some ways, and yet at the same time, the foundation or the focus of child rearing couldn't be any more plain. How is that possible? That it's such a challenge, and yet the goal of child rearing is really just so simple. Let's, let's look here about how humans are different from the animals. This will help us begin to answer this question. Genesis 1, verse 25. This is going back to the recreation of earth. You see, there are... People called creationists who think that the earth is only 6,000 years old. But the fact is, probably millions and millions of years span the gap between Genesis 1 verse 1 and then verse 2. So God did create the heaven and the earth, but then something happened to it. The earth became without form and void. Something happened. It wasn't created that way. So the earth is more than 6,000 years old. And it wasn't until the recreation of the earth about 6,000 years ago that human beings were created too. Genesis 1 verse 25, And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and cattle after their kind, and everything that creeps upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And then verse 26, now God is talking about human beings. All the animals are made after their kind, cows after the cow kind, but look at how God describes humans. Verse 26, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. 
So God made us to look like him after his likeness and also with the potential to build his character, which is what the word image there means. He doesn't say that about animals. In fact, God also goes on to say there that we rule over the animals. We are in charge of the animal kingdom. We're not fellow animals. We are in charge of the animals. And then verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. What's the point of having two genders? That's the way God created it with just two genders. But why? Why would it be so important to have two genders? Well, obviously, verse 28 goes on to talk about being fruitful and multiplying. You see, you can reproduce, you can have children outside of the marriage union. But that's not the way God intended it. God wanted us to experience the biblical family unit. In fact, you can see here Genesis chapter 2, how God literally made the woman out of the man's rib. So out of Adam's rib came Eve. And she was made to be his help. That's Genesis 2 verse 18. So God is establishing two genders, and then he's establishing two complementary separate but equal roles. So they're not equal in authority, but they are equal in spiritual potential. You have the man, and then you have the woman there to help the man. So that means the man leads, and the woman follows and makes his life so much better. That is a, a glorious role for the woman. And you can see here also Genesis 2, how another way that we are, I guess you could say, somewhat similar to the animals, but we'll get into how we're also different. Genesis 2, verse 7, And the eternal God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. This one verse completely does away with the immortality of the soul doctrine. It says man is a living soul. Not that he has one that lives forever inside of him or that he will live on after death automatically because he can't really die. It's saying we are a living soul. We're made of the dust of the ground just like the animals. We breathe to stay alive, just like the animals. There's also plenty of verses that talk about how the life is in the blood because the air we breathe circulates the blood. It, it provides the fuel for our cells to operate. And obviously, the blood is circulating long before birth, long before we actually have to start breathing we are relying on our mothers to breathe and keep us alive while we're in the womb. But it's really ultimately life in the blood. So just like the animals, you can see plenty of 
verses that talk about we all die, and when we die, our thoughts disappear. We are not conscious anymore, just like the animals. And yet at the same time, if you use any common sense at all, you know how different we are from the animals. Like it said there in Genesis 1, we are made after the God kind. But even if you didn't know that, you would understand how different we are from the animals. Because what about what a monkey can do? Are you not more capable than a monkey? Could a monkey dress himself and drive to work? Could a monkey communicate over the radio using a language like I am right now? Could a monkey think, use logic and reason, build anything even somewhat impressive? Could a monkey actually go to space if we humans had not sent him there? My students this morning pointed that out to me. Yes, a monkey has gone to space, but it's because humans made that happen. A monkey by himself could never do something like that. Look at the realm of science and how it is so totally focused on the physical. They are dependent on the theory of evolution being true. They cannot think anything of the spiritual because they can't measure it. And so they're totally confused as to why there are no missing link fossils for us to transition between ape and human. Why do no missing links exist today? We have apes, we have humans, but no one who's partway in between. Really, it makes no sense. If we really think about it, what science is putting out for us as truth really doesn't have much hope. So humans are very different from the animals. It's obvious by the results, by what we can do compared with what they are totally incapable of doing. And here we have a, a verse that explains why. So yes, we die just like the animals, but at the same time, there is an extra component. Job 32, verse 8. But there is a spirit in man, and the inspiration of the Almighty gives them understanding. Your Bible says nothing about animals having a spirit in them. Animals do not have this spiritual component. And really, it's this spiritual component that's the only thing that sets us apart from the animals. So God made us after his kind, and the way he did that is by giving us this spiritual element. And this element is what actually provides the power of intellect. It does not, as, as the late educator and theologian Herbert W. Armstrong explained, taste, it does not smell, it does not see or hear or touch. It is not the five senses, this spirit, but it does allow us to process what our senses observe in ways that the animals can't. So 1 Corinthians 2, verse 11, For what man knows the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? He 
You see, that's why a dog can't do what we do. That's why their potential is immeasurably lower than ours. They don't have this spirit of man or this human spirit. And then this verse continues, even so the things of God knows no man but the spirit of God. So this human spirit combines with the human brain and makes the capabilities of our mind far superior to any animal brain. That is an inspiring truth that really ought to direct how we rear children, how we teach children. Here on page 49 of Child Rearing with Vision, which you can get for free at thetrumpet.com, Christ taught the disciples a vital lesson about children and their part in his gospel message. He left no doubt that little children are also the building blocks of the divine family of God. And then just a little bit lower here, Jesus demonstrated to the disciples that they should do everything possible to help children achieve their potential. And then one more here on page 49. When you properly train your child, you are helping God reproduce himself. You see, we're made after the God kind. We have this spiritual element combining with our brains that makes us capable of so much more than anything the animals could ever do. And because we're made after the God kind, that means there is a much deeper purpose for us when we raise children. Animals don't get married. Animals do not (laughs) rear their young animals, their newborn animals. They don't have to teach those animals how to behave because those animals are equipped with instinct. Page 50 says we have to know how God created the human mind. And on top of that, We have to have God's Holy Spirit to really know how to raise children. Remember, 1 Corinthians 2 verse 11 talks about the spirit of man. But at the end it says, even so the things of God knows no man but the spirit of God. So animals are different from, or humans are different from animals because we have that human spirit. But then there is a Holy Spirit that can combine with the human spirit and set us apart from even other human beings where we can know spiritual knowledge, understanding, and wisdom that no one else understands. And that's something we have to consider during child rearing. We have to understand the capabilities of a child's mind. We can't just train a child like we would An animal. Animals can do certain things if they are trained properly. They can behave themselves indoors. They can be taught not to bark. And I'm sure we could do a lot of the same things to make sure that children behave. And yet they have mind power that animals don't have. And so just treating them like animals, just to behave so that they don't annoy us, won't work. They will not stick with that forever because 
They know how to think. They have a chance to make decisions. We have to actually teach children how to think. We have to set an example for them to follow. Page 51 of Child Rearing with Vision says, Teaching mindless obedience is not proper child rearing. Truly effective child rearing is teaching your child's mind. To do this, you must know what the Bible reveals about the human mind. It is vastly different from the brains of animals. Like we've said today, there is that extra spiritual component. And the thing about a spiritual component is it is influenced by spiritual forces. And that's where this job gets so sobering. It becomes a really serious job when we think about it that way. This human spirit can be influenced by spiritual forces, whether God or Satan. And Satan would love to raise our children for us. Absolutely. Here's another way to think about the human spirit. This is from Mr. Armstrong too. Page 52 of Child Rearing with Vision. There is a spirit in every human being. This spirit is not part of the person. It is something in each human. Just as, for illustration, a human might swallow a marble. The marble is something in the person, yet not part of that person. This spirit in man is something that is in him or her throughout this life. So this is just an extra element. God equips us with an extra element that the animals don't have. And it can be used for incredible good or, as we see in the world today, appalling evil. We don't have instinct. We have to be taught. We have to know how to think and reason the right way. And it starts very young. Page 54, Mr. Armstrong again. Just about how we teach our children. It took me some time as a father to learn that I should teach first and only punish when they had done what they knew was wrong. So you see, it's not about mindless obedience. They have to be able to understand and discern God's way of life from the wrong way. They have to understand what the right choices are versus the wrong ones. And they have to know that they are allowed to make a choice. They are not going to be forced to make the right choices every moment throughout every single day. They have to be taught the blessings of the right way and the dangers of the wrong way. They have to want to choose right all day long in all the decisions they have the opportunity to make. They have to fully understand these two different ways of life and that one is clearly better. And once our children know that, once they know what's right, it still is their choice to pick the right way. But if they don't, that's when the punishment comes. Once they fully understand right from wrong. And of course, we teach this on an age-appropriate level to our children. A child must be taught how to live. And this book also talks about how teachers are not the primary educators for our children. 
it has to start in the home. Parents take responsibility for their own children, and then the teachers are like the assistants to the parents. That can be a daunting task to think of every moment you're with your child every day as you being their teacher. They're watching everything. They copy everything. But page 55 says teaching is simpler than you think. Look to God as your example. You see, that's the first thing that he taught Adam and Eve. He taught them about the right way versus the wrong way. The two trees of the Garden of Eden. The tree of life versus the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It all gets back to that. There's so much more we need to learn in this life, but that's the foundation. We have to know there's two fundamental ways. And we have to show our children the blessings of choosing life. Every child is a gift from God, a potential member of God's family. That is really such a helpful vision to have, whether you have children or whether you don't. There's always going to be children around you. You can help them learn. You can set the example for them. You can seize opportunities to teach them. Page 56 says the overarching goal of child-rearing for all converted parents is to prepare your children to become converted. To teach them to want God's way and to choose it themselves. To make a full commitment to them when they are adults. They have access to God through you if you are a converted member of God's church. And you can teach them the right way. And they can choose life because of you. What an incredible vision that we have. Knowing what child rearing in this life pictures. It pictures an endless spiritual family of God. Just expanding forever and ever. God having all kinds of children. What a hope-filled vision that we have. And that really is what we need to think about in our child rearing, in our child teaching. Thanks so much for listening today. I'm Grant Turgeon. This has been Trumpet Bookshelf. You've been listening to Trumpet Bookshelf. Please email your thoughts to comments at kpcg.fm. Listen for new episodes every Friday at 10 a.m. Central Time.